Hi, and thank you for listening in to the New Song Podcast from this week's service. You are welcome and encouraged to join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays in person. And for more information on how to get involved with New Song, go to newsonglouisville.org and follow us on social media. And now for today's message. Let's pray this morning. Lord, thank you for your word, your holy, awesome, powerful word that is alive and and active. And Holy Spirit, this morning, would you come alongside your word and teach and train and, and, and challenge and convict and develop us, Lord. We want to be more like Jesus. That's our heart's cry. So have your way today, Holy Spirit. Speak to each of us through your word in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. This morning, as we continue in part 11, believe it or not, of our uh, joy ride through the book of Philippians, talking about indestructible joy, I want to ask you a question as we start out this morning. You'll see where I'm going in just a moment as we get to our passage. But what was it like for you growing up? Who did you look up to in your life when you were really young? Who did you want to be like? If I were to ask you that question, I wanted to be like, what would, how would you fill in the blank? I, I, I will tell you in my own life, my hero was my grandfather. And um, he indelibly impacted my life. His name was James Edward North, J.E. North. And my grandfather used to be, a, he was an international salesman for a season of his life and he traveled uh, to Europe fairly frequently selling uh, large farm equipment. Um, and, then, and then at some point he kind of semi-retired early and, and bought a piece of land and dug a big lake and started a couple of businesses. And if you've been out to where Pastor Bert and Carla live, you, you've seen my grandfather's handiwork. That was, that was his heart. That is where he lived his life, the the last 20, 30 years of his life running that business and a, a commercial pay lake and a riding stable. And my grandfather was really the first person that I ever felt unconditional love through. And that unconditional love impacted me greatly. I, uh, he was my hero. I wanted to be like my grandfather. He not only loved me unconditionally, he, he really was the first man to call me out as a man. And I can remember some of the things my grandfather did. One day I showed up and, and I loved being with him and I spent as much time as I could at the lake with him. And, and my mom and dad were very generous with that. They let me go and stay a lot. And he got me a mini bike. Anybody, anybody had the privilege of having a mini bike when you were a kid? He got me a mini bike. And I, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is like the ultimate. And he said, he said to me, well, you're going to have to prove yourself before you get this mini bike. And I'm going, oh no, you know, what does that mean? And we went up behind the house and there's a, what I call the ridge. And it's a steep hill. And he said, you got to get on that mini bike and ride to the top of the hill to earn it. 
And here I am just a kid, you know, and this was kind of a big task for me because that hill looked like, it looked like Pike's Peak to me. I mean, I'm going, oh man. And I remember revving that thing up and I remember going and quite honestly, I don't remember whether I made it to the top of the hill or not. There's part of me that thinks, I don't think I made it quite to the top of the hill. But my grandfather was there. He loved me, gave me the mini bike and just lots of things like that. First time I ever flew, my grandfather took me on a flight. He, I was a big Pittsburgh Pirate fan. And uh, he found that the Pirates were playing a big doubleheader with the Cincinnati Reds, the big red machine. And I remember we, we, got, we went to the airport and we flew from Louisville to Cincinnati. How many of you know that's a pretty short flight? But it was my first flight. And I remember him taking me up to the, to the pilot, you know, the area and the pilot giving me wings and all that kind of thing. I, I just loved my grandfather. He touched my life deeply. And this morning, we're going to look at a couple of unsung heroes in the Bible. By the way, indestructible joy, we've been defining it as this. It means having a joy that no matter what happens in your life, You continue to trust and praise God, knowing that God in no other circumstance has the final word over your life. Can you say amen to that? How many of you want that kind of joy that is everlasting, that doesn't, it's not fleeting, it stays because you are deeply, passionately in love with Jesus and he sits firmly on the throne of your heart. This morning our passage is Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. And, you know, as an adult follower of Jesus, when I read the scriptures, there are times that I, I, I'll read about a particular person in scripture and I'll think to myself, I, I'd like to be like them. And there's lots of incredible heroes in the Bible that quite honestly are worthy of imitation, if you will. And I believe through the grace of God, we can become Not just like them, but ultimately the goal is to become like Jesus. Amen? But, you know, there's also some in the Bible that didn't finish well, didn't do well, that you definitely don't want to imitate. But this morning I want to kind of hone hone in and and I want to show you two unsung heroes of the Bible. And the second one especially is one that you're probably not that familiar with. And he's a guy that I'm going, Lord, I want to be like him. So Philippians chapter 2, if you'll follow along with me on the screen, it says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, But your messenger and the one who ministered to my need 
since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick, almost unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem. Because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Our first unsung hero this morning is none other than Timothy. Timothy. And I want to take just a moment and think about Timothy, talk about Timothy. Paul says something really interesting about Timothy in Philippians 2, right there in verse 20. And then in verse 22, he says, For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he has served with me in the gospel. Listen, Paul's being straight up when he says, when he makes this statement, because quite honestly, he's risking, if you will, offending others. But he's making a very clear and very true statement. He says, there's nobody else who's like-minded with me like Timothy. He's one in mind. He's one in spirit with Paul. What Paul was saying is that basically Timothy has grabbed hold of the humility that we talked about earlier in Philippians 2. He's walked in submission. He's walked in obedience. Nobody else can you find really in Scripture that emulated Paul quite like Timothy did. We find, we find kind of the introduction to Timothy back in Acts chapter 16. Paul came and met Timothy for the first time. He comes to Derby and Lystra and he meets Timothy. And it's really interesting what happens there in Acts chapter 16. You can go back and look at it. It's very interesting. Paul immediately wants Timothy to come with him on the mission field. He meets Timothy. He's, he's taken by Timothy's character, by who Timothy is. And he says something kind of shocking if you go back and read the story. He says to Timothy, but first, if you're going to come with me, I'm going to have to circumcise you first. Timothy's mother was Jewish. His father was Greek. Let me just say, wow, have you ever answered an altar call like that? That's a tough altar call, right? Timothy doesn't even bat an eye. Gladly goes through the rite of adult circumcision, goes immediately with Paul onto the mission field. This bro, quite honestly, has my attention big time. Timothy's an upright man. He's an obedient man. He's a sacrificial man. He's a man that Paul says sincerely cared for people. I love that. When you... When you get to that place in your life where God has cleansed and rinsed you of your pride and your selfishness and your, your self-centeredness and suddenly your life becomes so much more about others than about yourself. When you begin to genuinely care for people's spiritual and physical and emotional condition and your life is about reaching out and trying to make a difference in others' lives. That's the kind of person Timothy was. He sought to impact people for the kingdom of God. 
He gave encouragement. He gave rebuke. He preached the whole gospel. He brought what people needed to hear. And Paul says he had proven character. Well, talk about an accolade. Talk about something that, you know, hopefully every one of us would want to live up to if we were there in that day and time that the Apostle Paul himself would say of you or I, that's a person of proven character. It means that Timothy had demonstrated integrity and responsibility and dependability. He was the guy who could deliver the goods, right? You could count on him. He would have your back. He would be faithful. If you had a need, he was the guy to go to. And by the way, he'd been with the Philippians three times, including the starting of the Philippian church. Timothy was a guy who could be counted on. Now, I want to just take a moment here this morning and just kind of, if you will, just kind of let this percolate in your heart just a little bit. I want you to just let it kind of settle in. Is this the kind of people we are? This is the kind of people God would want us to be. I'm I'm confident of that. But each of us just evaluating our own selves in the presence of the Lord, just being open and honest and transparent. Are we the kind of people who sincerely care for other people's spiritual condition? Other people's physical condition? Other people's emotional condition? pretty easy to care, right? There's the old saying that, you know, the the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Sometimes, you know, intentions just aren't enough though. Do we actually move beyond just saying we care to really reaching out to others? And do we have a proven character? Have we demonstrated integrity? Integrity means being whole, that there's not, there's not a disparity in the way you live your life, that, that the words you speak and the way you live, there's a consistency. And I'll be honest, in the world we live in today, this, this isn't necessarily popular, but this is what counts in the eyes and the heart of God. Paul goes on to say of Timothy that he is, is as a son with a father. There, there's something so tender, so precious, so powerful about this description. Paul literally sees Timothy as his son, as his son, his spiritual son, someone he's taken under his wing. And this must be the reason for the like-mindedness that Timothy demonstrated. Timothy was Paul's son in the faith, even though Paul didn't win Timothy to Christ. But Paul came along and found this young man and, and saw the giftedness in him, saw the potential in him, and believed in him enough to see that potential come out. It's, it's one of the most powerful things that I see in the, in the life and the ministry of Jesus. I mean, I want you to think about how Jesus saw the potential in Peter. It's really interesting, right? Because, because Peter's, Peter's name, there's that whole play on the name, you know. At one point, he's Simon, the reed blown about by the wind. Jesus calls him Peter Petra from Petra the Rock. 
Jesus sees a guy who literally is, he's, he's a guy who's blown about by the wind. He's a guy who, who kind of, you know, he's all over the place. There isn't necessarily a proven character. There's, there's kind of an impetuousness, if you will. There's kind of a, a flakiness, a double-mindedness, if you will. And Jesus gives him a new name. And then Jesus helps him to live up to that name. He gives him the new name and then gives him the power to become that new person. That's what he does with all of us, right? When we come to Christ and truly have a heart transformation moment with him, where we've received him into our lives, the Bible says we become new creations in Christ, new creatures. It's like that, it's like that caterpillar metamorphosizing into that butterfly. We become a new person. And God calls us out to a new reality, a new responsibility, a new walk, a new life. I love this about Paul seeing the potential in Timothy. He believed in him. As I get older in ministry, I was thinking the other day, I've been pastoring full-time for over 37 years now. In the early days, you know, so much of what God is doing in, in a minister is, is, is he's doing an internal work, right? He's, there's so much in every one of us, I believe, that God is working on. And sometimes in those early days, it's a lot about us. But at some point, hopefully, in our journey in ministry, it becomes more and more and more about others. And I find at this point in my life that, that my greatest joy is not what I get to do, where I get to go, what I get to, to be a part of. It's about helping others find what they are called to do, what God wants to do in them and through them for his glory. And that's how it should be. Amen. And I want to ask that to us as a church today. Do we believe truly in others? If we do, we'll go out of our way to find others, especially young people. I don't know if you've noticed. I notice all the time. We have a deficit of young people. We need to be a church that so loves young people that as God gives us young people, we absolutely love them into who Christ desires for them to be. There shouldn't be another church in this city where young people would feel more loved, accepted, cared for, or called out in a good way to the glory of God. That's been our reality for many, many years. We're called to reach neighbors, nations, and generations. And by generations, that, that focus was younger generations. Pray with me on this because this is a, an area I really believe God wants to develop among us. I get the privilege and the honor most weeks in meeting with Landon Brockway. I love Landon. What an amazing young man. He's, he's today competing in a, uh, a powerlifting competition. So keep him in prayer. He's been looking forward to this for weeks. You don't know this about him. He's kind of like Pastor Bert. You know, he's got these hidden talents that you don't know about. But he's a, he's a strong young man, very strong. 
I mean, when I meet with him, I'm really kind to him. I don't want him to bench press me over his head or something, you know. And, uh, no, I'm just kidding. But he, he's, he's such a gentle young man, you wouldn't expect that he's a power lifter. But Lord bless Landon today in his powerlifting competition. May your strength be with him. What an amazing young man. I love, I love meeting with Nate Dupin. I love, I love just calling out what I see in that young man's heart. Every one of our young people, it's just a privilege to give, to give, uh, to give, um, uh, um, Libby a hug today and, and I, I just can't wait to hear what God is doing in her heart and her life. Who are you a father to? Remember a few years ago, more than one person said to Tracy and I, it's time for you not to be the son or the daughter now. It's time for you to be the father and the mother now. There comes a time in your faith journey, it's time you give back. It's time you pour out. It's time you mentor and raise up and believe in and trust in others. This is what Paul does with Timothy. Are we going out of our way to call up young people, to entrust them, to train them, to raise them up? God, help us do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Timothy's called and discipled by Paul himself. He serves with Paul. He's a teammate. This isn't an easy thing that Paul's calling him to. Adult circumcision certainly isn't. There's opposition too. There's even imprisonment. But every one of us needs to have a mentor discipling us, and we need to be a mentor discipling others. This is the biblical model and the biblical mandate. We need to raise the bar on that. Let me give you kind of an illustration, if you will. Every one of us needs to be reaching up to someone who's, who's beyond us in their spiritual development and maturity reaching up, taking hold of their hand, learning, growing, allowing them to speak into our lives. At the same time, reaching down and getting the hand of a young person and pulling them up to where we are. Does that make sense? Do you see that? Oh, it's good too to have people alongside you, but everybody needs to have a mentor, someone that is pouring into them and someone they are mentoring. So Powerful. Here's how the Bible says it, right? Second Timothy 2, 2, and the things you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will also be able to teach others. Did you notice, by the way, the description here, we're to commit them to faithful people, not necessarily talented people or successful people or intelligent people or Paul talks about how the that in so many ways the body of Christ is made up of things the world wouldn't necessarily consider wise. Faithful people. Timothy was Paul's protege. He submitted to Paul. He was his missionary partner. He was even 
the co-author along the way of some of Paul's epistles. He was a messenger. At one point, he suffered some stomach sickness, and Paul told him to drink a little wine for his stomach. At one point, he was imprisoned. He was summoned by Paul as Paul was awaiting execution, and eventually, Timothy becomes the bishop over the church of Ephesus, one of the most important churches in all of the early church. But, lest you think incorrectly, he was not a super Christian. Anybody ever, you ever do that, right? You're, you're reading about these Bible people, right? And you go, man, they're just super Christians. I could never quite measure up to that. I could never quite be that way because I know I'm not a super Christian. Timothy wasn't a super Christian. Most of the people in the Bible weren't super Christians. They were fallible Christians. They were growing Christians. They were people just like you and me, quite honestly, that God chose and used in spite of their challenges and their difficulties. Look at 2 Timothy 1. You probably know this verse, right? Therefore, I remind you, he's talking to Timothy. This is at the end of Paul's life. The last letter he writes, I remind you, Timothy, to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul had prayed over Timothy, set him in that place of of authority and and, and honor and, and service. For God has not given you, Timothy, a spirit of fear, us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You know what this probably indicates? Timothy was struggling because Timothy wasn't perfect, just like you and I are not perfect. Sometimes I have a sound mind and sometimes my mind gets a little a little rattled. How about yours? Sometimes I'm thinking all the right thoughts and sometimes the enemy's bombarding my mind. And I have to remind myself, God's not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Timothy is growing. Timothy is becoming. Timothy is learning. He was a young man who struggled. And it's okay to struggle, right? Paul is saying to him, stir up those gifts of God in you, Timothy, and don't walk in fear. Timothy was a guy who pressed through his own doubts and fears and became a man greatly used of God. Heroes aren't people without doubts and fears. Heroes are people who don't let doubts and fears keep them from doing God's will. Can you say amen to that? It's interesting. Let's be people who sincerely care for others. Let's be people who prove out our character. Let's be people who serve others. Let's be people who 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 start father-son, mother-daughter, spiritual relationships. Let's be heroes and not zeros, amen? Let's make our lives count for the glory of God by passing on, encouraging, believing in, and trusting in others. So really a sobering commentary Paul's giving here. He says, Timothy's like no one else. He is the only one who's like-minded with me. I want to focus on this just a little more because it's, it's such a sobering thing Paul's saying. In Philippians 2.21, he says, for all seek their own. 
not the things which are of Christ Jesus. You know, in all honesty, it's that way in a lot of church circles in America today. Those who quite honestly want to do their own selfish things while attending church. We've probably all been there. They're in church, if you will, to see what they can selfishly kind of take from it rather than what they can sacrificially pour into it. It's interesting, isn't it? Because the first century church had consumers too. Philippians 1, if you recall back, Paul talked about those who were motivated by envy and selfish ambition, who sought their own exaltation. The apostle John in 3 John writes of a guy named Diotrophes. Diotrophes loved to have the preeminence. In other words, he thought he was a big shot and he wasn't a bondservant like we've talked about. It's interesting, isn't it? Paul encountered a lot of people like this. 2 Timothy 1.15, this you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me. Among them are Phygelus and Hermogenes. These are sad stories. This is at the end of Paul's life. These are people who used to be with him, used to have their arms locked with him, used to be beside him in ministry. And now, because they've sought their own comfort, because they've had enough of this Jesus thing, they've left him. That's sad. You know, there's a... There's a really interesting uh, thing that went viral here a few months ago. It's a Presbyterian pastor who's leaving the ministry. He'd been a pastor for, I think, maybe 16 years. Don't quote me on that, but it's something like that, quite a long time. And he he put a thing online, why, why I'm resigning from being a pastor. And he went through all these different reasons. In the middle of it, he highlights another pastor who used to be a, a pretty well-known, followed pastor who also had quit the ministry. And he actually plays a clip, a little clip from a podcast this minister did. And this minister, after he left ministry, happened to go and get a brain scan. Get a brain scan. It was very revealing. The doctor looked at the brain scan and said, you have the brain of a severe PTSD patient. And this was was from having been a pastor. Because let me tell you, every loss, every betrayal, every relationship that you were counting on that didn't quite work out, every person that you walked with and believed in, but for some odd reason left you, oh, it's just like a trauma to the brain. It really is. And Paul is just saying, you know, these people were with me and they're not anymore. 2 Timothy 4.10, look at this one. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Three questions for me, for you, for all of us here this morning. Anybody watching online, are you one who seeks your own exaltation, comfort, and pleasure? Tough question. Let's wrestle with it before the Lord. Are you only into this church Jesus thing so long as it suits your own interests and agenda? 
Are you the one who's seeking the things of Christ Jesus no matter, no matter what it costs you? Let's turn a little bit of our attention now to a guy named Epaphroditus. Everybody say Epaphroditus. You know what it means? It literally means lovely. And a lovely guy he is. I bet you haven't thought about Epaphroditus in a long time if you've ever thought about Epaphroditus. He's a guy I want to be like. I remember one time taking a a biblical um, gift thing that we did here in the church, and it aligned you up with, with different biblical characters. And I was Apollos. And I remember thinking to myself, who? I'm going to have to go back and study who he was. I hope he was a good guy. And he was, but I didn't know much about him. I bet you don't know much about Epaphroditus, but I want to give you some insight here today. Philippians chapter 2, verse 25. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. My brother, Paul says five things about him. We'll, we'll define them quickly. My brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, your messenger, and the one who ministered to my need. First of all, he calls him a brother. A brother. It's a favorite word of Paul, by the way. He uses familial terms quite often. He uses brother nine times in the book of Philippians, more than any other of his epistles. Timothy was Paul's son, but Epaphroditus was Paul's brother. Because Paul saw believers as eternal family members who were united through mutual faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, in Paul's mind, okay, listen to this statement. Family today is so dysfunctional, the biblical family terms can lose their weight. But Paul used family terms to highlight the importance of the relationships in Jesus. When we see each other, all of us, as eternal family members, it should absolutely affect how we treat each other. In Christ, we're more than acquaintances or even friends. We're family, and we should be sincerely caring for each other as such. That's why you will often hear me describe this as the new song family. I think there's no more powerful picture of what the church is supposed to be than a loving, caring family. Amen? Secondly, Paul calls him a fellow worker. Epaphroditus is a team member, not a bleacher sitter. There's kingdom work to do. There's a harvest to gather. He's a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. Luke 10, 2, Jesus said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. The laborers are few. You know why? We just talked about it a minute ago. Because too many seek their own comfort and their own will this is one of those prayers luke 10 2 is one of those prayers that you and i can not only pray but we can be the answer to lord of the harvest send out labors into your harvest field here am i send me 
So notice here with Epaphroditus, it's great if you're a brother or sister, but as you progress, you become a fellow worker. You pull your load as a family member. You help gather the harvest. And then number three, I love this one, a fellow soldier, fellow soldier. Brothers and workers must progress to adopt if you will, a soldier's attitude and mindset to be obedient, if you will, to the captain of the Lord of hosts. We need a soldier's attitude because in all honesty, and you understand this and know this, if you are alive and breathing, we're at war. Ephesians chapter 6 says this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand... We need a soldier's attitude to stay focused on what really matters in this life. Second Timothy, Paul says this, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. It's great if you're a brother or sister. It's great if you're a worker. As you progress, you become a fellow soldier. It tells us that Epaphroditus, he risked even his health and his life for the gospel like any good soldier would. And then it also says he was your messenger. By the way, that word messenger can also be translated apostle or ambassador. If you break apart what Paul's talking about that Epaphroditus did, He made a 700-mile journey at the risk of his own life through sickness and everything to deliver a message of encouragement and to update Paul. This wasn't any small feat. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if I were to say to you today, I need you to take on foot a message to, let's see, what would 700 miles away be? Anybody got a good 700 mile away? Florida. Yeah, I need you to get down there to, uh, uh, you know, Lakeland, Florida. Get this message to him as fast as you can on foot. Wouldn't be too bad a place to go, though, Gina, because the weather would be pretty nice. <laughs> anyway, thank you for that. Uh, and then lastly, my minister. He was a servant. He came. He ministered to me. He brought your gift, and he was a gift himself to the Apostle Paul. In other words, you can kind of sum up Epaphroditus like this. There's nothing too menial. There's nothing too small. There's nothing too insignificant for this brother. He gives his heart, his all to every task and opportunity. He's a worker. He's a soldier. He'll be a messenger, a minister, a servant, whatever, whatever the case requires. Epaphroditus is your man. By the way, let me just end with this. Many in Scripture were called brothers. There were some who were called fellow workers. Some even fellow soldiers. Some messengers. Some ministers. 
but only Epaphroditus was called all five. We should esteem him, church. We should acknowledge his heroic behavior, his sacrificial spirit. Here's a man who I do believe heard those words, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to be that kind of guy. I hope you want to be that kind of guy or that kind of gal. Do you stand with me as we close our time together? Lord, would you just speak to each of our hearts this morning? Holy Spirit, what is it you're speaking to us? Your word is active and it's alive. Lord, we didn't come here today just to hear a good message and leave the same. We came here to let your word work within us. Lord, what are you speaking to us? Where are you challenging us? Where are you encouraging us? Where are you longing for change or repentance or a laying down of our lives? How is it, Lord, this morning that you'd want to work in such a way to make us more like your son, Jesus? God, have your way in each of our hearts and lives. And if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, may they call out today and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life as Lord and Savior today and teach me how to live for you. God, have your way in each heart, in each life. In Jesus' name.